Well, good morning, GP Alliance. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Leslie. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Mel Sigelkoy. I'm director of Rising Above Ministry here in Grand Prairie, but also very actively, Liz and I are very actively a part of Grand Prairie Alliance Church. And, and as Rick had mentioned when he was up here, um, that the church is in a fairly um, heavy process of transition with pastoral leadership. And that's going to take some time. And I love how the elders are processing it and are not just rushing into something. And um, the good news about the slower process is this is a strong church. I came here at 8.30 this morning to, just to meet with the worship team before the first service and to pray with them and came in and Wayne was out there shoveling the walks and putting out the ice melt to make sure it was all ready for people to arrive and, and Gerald was at the coffee bar and there was just a buzz of people, staff and volunteers alike, just making sure everything is running smoothly. And so the strength of a church like this one in a time of transition is its people. It's you making the difference. It's the staff that we have in place to lead us. And, and everybody's just stepping up and doing their thing. And so it gives us the opportunity to slow the transition process down, and I think in Rick's words, to make sure we get it right. And so um, uh, thank you for your patience in the transition. But one of the things that Liz and I have enjoyed about the transition is the opportunity to see different people here um, bring in the message and sharing. Uh, the gospel, and it's my privilege to be one of those different people doing that this morning. And last week, um, Barry Schmidt led us through a Second Corinthians chapter nine, and um, on giving out of um, grace rather than out of compulsion, and a, a very good message. And so today we're going to continue into that, and um, in chapter ten, and then this is where Paul takes a bit of a shift in the theme of the book. And um, well, let's read. Let's read this passage, and you'll get the idea of where he's going here, and then, um, then we'll dive in. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come... I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that is set up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that we can read this morning. And we can begin to unpack the significance of, this, of these, these six verses and how they can impact our lives and thank you for the conflict that was taking place in this Corinthians church. And through it, may we find some healing in our own conflicts. So open our hearts to hear what you have us to say through your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I like how Eugene Peterson introduces this book of 2 Corinthians 
in, in, the, in the Message Bible, and if you read the Message, you know, before every book, there's a really cool little introduction that helps frame why the, the, the purpose of that particular book. And here's just a bit of what he says about this one. He says, the Corinthian Christians gave their founding pastor, Paul, more trouble than all his other churches put together. Their provocation for Paul's second letter to the Christians in Corinth was an attack on his leadership. Some of what he wrote in his first letter was hard for them to hear and to take, and so they, they bucked his authority, it says, accused him of inconsistencies, impugned his motives, questioned his credentials. They didn't argue with what he had written. They simply denied his right to tell them what to do. They made it personal. And so here Paul is, and now beginning in chapter 10, ready to state some things in response. And so um, one more thing Eugene Peterson says here, we can be grateful to Paul for this letter and to the Christians in Corinth who prompted or provoked it. And so we get to be the benefactors of learning from Paul about how conflict flares up and what is a good response to it. Um, some have said that, uh, some scholars believe that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and through to the end of the, end of the book was actually written as a separate book prior to chapters 1 through 9. And so Paul, in these next few chapters that we're going to be working through, deals with some pretty hard issues. He has to be the, 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 the tough guy here and to clarify some things. And then he comes back, what we have in the first part of 2 Corinthians, and speaks and teaches on those things. And so um, this is Paul being tough. And, uh, and again, scholars have, rec have called this section of 2 Corinthians the painful letter because he replies to these many false charges concerning his work. Um, so conflict, this is what this is gonna be about. And conflict is all around us. It's in your home, it's in your workplace, it's in your extended family, um, it's in your social settings, it's in the church. Wherever you are when you're with other people, it has the potential for conflict. In the first six verses of this chapter that we just read, this conflict comes to a head and Paul needs to adjust, address it. So my title for this message is simply this, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Conflict is real. And it comes out of this tension that we live in that is probably best summarized by Charles Schultz, who does the Peanuts cartoon, when Charlie Brown says, I love mankind, I, mean, I think it was actually Snoopy. I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And so from a distance, everybody looks good, but when you get up close and personal with them, it's not so good. Or you've, you've heard this phrase, and you've probably said it over and over again too. People, we can't live with them, and we can't live without them. There's something inside of us that it, we're created and designed for relationships, but those relationships come at a cost, and there's always conflict involved. Some have read this poster this week. It said, the secret to success is knowing who to blame for your failures. That's one way that we tend to deal with the tension and conflict in our lives is to point our fingers. So my first point this morning is this. The title is The Struggle is Real. My first point is the struggle is real, but it's not what or where we think it is. And so the struggle is real, but we misdirect our energy in the struggle to the wrong things. 
we think our struggle is we have a problem with people or there are problem people in our lives. And so we focus our conflict on their behavior, what they're doing, why they're messing with us, and at least we tell ourselves they're the problem. And so we feel like the struggle is real, but the struggle is our relationships. And do you have people in your life who um, tend to push your buttons? They know just exactly what to say or how to say it to get a reaction out of you. And it's as if they're doing it on purpose. They just want to see how far you'll go this time. How much anger will you let out or how will you respond? And you just think that they're doing it to get under your skin to push your buttons. Or maybe you have people in your life that you would just say they're the, that holier-than-thou, self-righteous person that no matter what you say or do, you'll never be as, as good or as moral or as ethical as them. They always have to try to outdo us. What about the person who thinks everything's a joke? They just, you can be very serious if they're dealing with something very um, intense, and all they do is make fun about it and laugh at it. And, and um, what about those that you'd consider as inconsiderate jerks? They just say what they want, when they want, and rarely, if ever, consider how their actions might affect other people. Then there are those in your life that are probably overly sensitive, where you feel like you're kind of using that walking on eggshells scenario, where you got to tread carefully because you don't know if what you say or how you say it's going to offend them, or if you don't say anything, if that'll offend them. And you're always just walking on eggshells, and it's very awkward situations. And, or maybe you're dealing with something, as we talk about now, that some people who are not adulting very well, and so they just are stuck in this trap of immaturity and um, emotional dysfunction. Maybe you have people in your life who are manipulative and are guilt trippers and are trying to get you to do something that they want from you and make you feel bad if you don't. Maybe you have people in your life who are just over the top with their commitment to health or fitness or dieting and, and every time they talk about it they're promoting this new thing that they're doing and some of us just like to have our junk food okay just let us be maybe have people in your life that would fit in the category of, of drama queens who just exaggerate everything looking for attention and always trying to draw attention on themselves and how what's going wrong in, in their world uh, maybe there's somebody in life who's just simply high maintenance, again, is a demanding so much out of you just to keep the relationship intact. Maybe you have people in life that want to make you look weak or incapable or in, not good enough or incompetent, and they just work very hard to keep you down. I mean, they have their own fears that they're responding out of, but you might be in that position where that's affecting you. And that's, that's kind of the situation that we're into here in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, where they're accusing Paul of these things. Listen to verses 1 and, 1 and 2 again from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read it this time from the message. I hear that I'm being painted as cringing and wishy-washy when I am with you, but harsh and demanding when I am at a safe distance. Safe distance writing letters. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I am present with you. Don't think that I'll hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say I'm an unprincipled opportunist. So here the people are saying, Paul, you're wishy-washy, you're an unprincipled opportunist, you can be harsh and demanding in a letter, but when you're here with us, you have no backbone. So they're attacking his character, they're attacking, trying to make him look weak or incapable. 
And so the struggle is real. But Paul knew that they weren't the problem. Paul knew that the believers in the church at Corinthia who were saying these things, he knew they weren't the problem. Verse 3 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. See, the world lives this way where we will tend to blame, deflect, say that my life would be better if they would do something different. We blame others. That's the way the world deals with conflict. Paul's saying that's not how we look at it. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, acknowledges kind of the same thing and says it a little differently, Ephesians 6, verse 12, when he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not against people. People are not the problem in your life. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The struggle is real, but the struggle is not with people. We need to let that sink in. The conflicts that you are living in right now in the different context of your relationships, we admit that the struggle is there and it's real, but it's not about the people. Our struggle is not with other people. And you might be thinking, well, you don't know my boss or you don't know my spouse or you don't know, it doesn't matter. The struggle is not about the person. It goes beyond that. Here's the problem when we tend to focus that as the, when we say the struggle is real and we tend to put it onto other people, we are giving them the power that will keep us stuck. When we make it about people, we give our power away. If it's about, if it's about other people, then we can't fix the conflict. We can't fix what's messing with us. We can't fit, fix what it feels like. Um, to come to church and pretend to worship, we're inside, we're feeling defeated. We can't fix those things if the struggle is there, if it's about them. When we're stuck in this conflict and continuing to feel like other people are causing my problems, then we get stuck in the cycles of bitterness, the fight or flight mode, where we're either gonna shut down emotionally and not feel anything, or we're gonna react and anger comes out and destroys those around us. Have you ever left a job, moved to a different job just to escape certain personalities that you were working with, be thinking, I can't work with those people anymore, and you go to a different job only to realize that they're there too. They may look different or different ages, different names, but they're there. When we um, left our first pastoral role in Saskatoon and went to Winnipeg, we were going, finally, we get to leave some of these people behind, only to find that they were there in our church in Winnipeg, too. Yeah, they looked different names, different faces, different, but the, the issues, that the, how they were able to get under our skin and, and push those buttons were still there. And that's when I began to realize, and God was beginning to work in me, they're saying, it's not them. It's in here. It's not about them. That's the way the world works, pointing fingers, blaming others. They make me so angry, I'll never be able to heal until they do something, even a phrase like this, that some people are like clouds. When they disappear, it turns out to be a beautiful day. You're giving too much power away to those people who may feel like clouds in your life. 
you can have a beautiful day, even with cloudy people. So Paul says, the problem is not what we think it is. It's, it's not out there. It's not them. It's not about other people. Verse 4 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The problem is not people out there. The problem is the strongholds that are in here. The struggle is real, but the struggle is not them. The struggle is within us, and the struggle is our own strongholds. The bars that we beat against, those bars that hold us and imprison us, that cause us to live a defeated life, that, those bars are within us. We put them there. We can take them down. Those bars that imprison us are our strongholds. And those strongholds are within. So let's talk for a second about what a stronghold is. It's not a place. Oh, sorry, it is a place. <laughs> it's a place, not a person. It's not a person. The stronghold is a, a place. A stronghold is a defensive structure that we build, and we build it to protect our emotional vulnerabilities. So a stronghold protects our emotional vulnerabilities, our areas of our life that we haven't found healing for yet, that, we feel that, that, that is hurting us, causing us to be stuck. We build these strongholds to protect ourselves in this area. So in a battle, in combat, a stronghold would be a, a high ground, a tower that you can, they would actually build to go up on, or a cliff that they can put their soldiers on. Some place that gives you protection from the enemy, that gives you an advantage in battle. That's the whole idea of a stronghold. It gives you the advantage in a battle. In this passage, when Paul's talking about stronghold, he's not talking about physical combat. He's talking about the strongholds in our mind, the strongholds that place a destructive structure in our lives because we're trying to protect areas of our lives that God wants to heal and release us from. Look at, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read it from the Passion, and this will be up on the screen. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. That's what the world does. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to, and this is what the Passion says about strongholds, energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. The strongholds in our lives, which are messing with us in our relationships, are the defenses behind which we hide. We build these strongholds to protect our, again, our emotional vulnerabilities. So there's some good news and bad news about these structures that we build, that these defenses that we hide behind. The bad news is, means that we bring most of our problems on ourselves. We build strongholds to protect our emotional vulnerabilities and at the expense of shutting ourselves down. So then we go into blaming, denial, manipulation, acting out in selfishness, bitterness. We, use escapes then, 
it might be food, it might be pornography, it might be just shutting yourself down emotionally, withdrawing emotionally. We allow anxiety to kick in. We get stuck in what Paul describes how the world wages war when we build a stronghold to, to defend us against ourselves, when we build a stronghold to protect our emotional vulnerabilities. The good news is that beginning today, we can break out of those destructive behavior patterns, those strongholds, and become free for effective living. Those areas in our lives that are bringing us always discouragement that we feel defeated in, God has given us to divine power to demolish those strongholds. Again, we built these strongholds, and so by an act of our surrender to God, his divine power, we can tear them down. So why do we hang on to these strongholds? Here's a key point. A stronghold is only a threat if there are enemy soldiers inside. A stronghold is only a threat when there are enemy soldiers inside. So when we build these strongholds, when we put into place some of these we call defense mechanisms to protect our own emotional vulnerabilities, we build the structure, and Satan sees that structure, and he goes, thank you for building me a stronghold. I will now occupy that because you have just opened the door to give me a foothold into your life. And so he is occupying our strongholds to bring us to a place of living in defeat. Our strongholds become the access point for the enemy in our life to do his work. And yet again, we built them he occupies them, and then in a, un, when we are unaware of it, we are now in a partnership. We are now standing with the enemy to work self-destruction in our lives because we are convinced that we need this stronghold for our protection, and Satan's going to keep wanting us to believe that. And so you might hear a message about tearing down strongholds, and you're going, yeah, that'd be a good idea, but all of a sudden you're going, yeah, but I need mine. That's not your thoughts. That's coming from the enemy who is occupying your stronghold. We built the strongholds based on a desire to protect ourselves from our emotional vulnerabilities, but Satan has fortified those strongholds and has a foothold in our life because of them. Are you done standing with the enemy in your strongholds? Is it time to dismantle them and tear them down? He needs us to hang on to them so he can keep his foothold in our life, so he's going to do everything in his power to tell you you'd actually need that stronghold. Without it, you'll be weak. Without it, you'll be vulnerable, which is the big fear. We protect our emotional vulnerabilities. We don't want to be vulnerable. And yet the opportunity here is to release them and to have divine power in this place. So the struggle is real. It's not about them. It's about us. It's about the strongholds that we build that we then begin to stand with the enemy to bring destruction in our lives. The third point is the struggle is real and we can release divine power in the middle of that struggle. This passages say that divine power to demolish strongholds, divine power to demolish arguments and pretensions. Look at verse 5. I'm going to read it from the message. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. When we build a stronghold, what gives the enemy the, that foothold in our lives 
is that it's not based around the truth of God, it's based around the lies that we believe about who we are. Our identity as a child of God is challenged in the lies that we believe about ourselves. But God has given us divine power to tear down these barriers erected against the truth of God. God has given us the divine weapons of a mind and a heart that we have the freedom to surrender to him even though we're carrying these strongholds. And as we surrender our mind and our heart to him, we can see those strongholds come down when we receive the truth of God. Let's look at the second part of verse 5. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is such a powerful, powerful phrase when it comes to breaking strongholds. Did you know that you have about 41,000 thoughts that go through your head every day? Every time I say that, I keep thinking, I wonder who sat down and actually counted, but uh, it wasn't me. But you have about 41,000 thoughts going through your head every day. A lot of those thoughts are just innocent, you know, remember to buy milk when you go home today. Or, uh, but a lot of those thoughts are you condemning yourself. You are your own worst enemy. You will say harder and meaner and crueler things to yourself than anybody else has ever said to you. And yet you nod your head and you say it again and again and again. Verse 5 here says, hey, we can take every thought captive and make it obedient to the mind of Christ. Take every thought captive and expose it to the truth that Christ has for us and say, God, is this thought something that you want me to engage in or entertain in. It's our thoughts that get us into trouble. It's our thoughts that cause us to build strongholds. It's our thoughts that cause us to want to deflect and blame everything else. Our thoughts create the trouble for us because our thoughts are not in obedience to the mind of Christ. It's not the people. They're not out to get you. And even if they were, it wouldn't matter when you put your thoughts subject to the mind of Christ. You don't have to give your power away. You can take those thoughts captive. What does Christ say about that thought? And sit back and listen and hear and respond with the truth that God is revealing to you. Our thoughts are very powerful. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks, the thoughts he has in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts are the biggest predictor of who or what you will become. We are a product of our thoughts. If your thoughts are always berating yourself, your self-esteem is going to be low. You're going to feel insecure. You're going to deal with a lot of anxiety and social anxiety issues because of the thoughts that you have about yourself. If you allow temptation into your life and your thoughts say, I can't defeat this, I have to give in to this, then you're going to be stuck in the cycle of sinful habits and shame is going to rule your life. It's going to become a stronghold where you believe the shame is too much for you to be free from or I'm too weak for God to deliver me. And you're going to be stuck in those strongholds even though you know 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says when we are tempted, God is always has a way of escape for us, but it won't work for us because our thoughts have built a stronghold that keeps us from engaging and believing what the scriptures say. And what Paul says here when he says, take every thought captive. Our thoughts can create destructive strongholds. Your thoughts can also bring you the freedom and the healing you need when those thoughts are subject and obedient to Christ. 
And that's the challenge that we're going to be coming to here. Did you know that every day you get to determine what kind of day you're going to have? It's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? That you can wake up in the morning and you can determine what kind of a day you're going to have. And you go, well, you don't know who I have to live with or who I have to put up with when I go to work and how they can so easily mess up my day. See, even in a statement like that, how they can easily mess up my day, you are giving your power away to them. Psalm 118.24, a fairly familiar verse, simply says this, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We don't have to give our power away to anybody else. We can let our thoughts come back to this place and say, no matter what's going on in my circumstance today, we will rejoice and be glad in it. We need to bring every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. In reality, we let those tempting thoughts control of control us and defeat us because of our strongholds instead of taking the offense to con control our thoughts. Ever heard someone say this? The more I think about it, what that person did to me, the more I think about it, the angrier I get. We've probably all, not only have we heard other people say it, we've all said it, we've all thought it, we've let our thoughts go there. The solution is right in that statement. The more I think about it, it's our thoughts that are getting us trapped in this cycle. The angrier I get, it's our thoughts that are fueling the anger because we're having thoughts about ourselves that are not obedient to the mind of Christ. So the solution is in the statement. Think about things that are inobedient to the mind of Christ and watch what happens within you regarding that circumstance. The circumstance may not change at all. Your reaction to it will change immensely when our thoughts are subject and obedient to Christ. It's easier said than done, but when you begin to practice and experiment with it, you'll find it to be very, very powerful. Too many people, and especially Christians, are captive to their thoughts rather than taking their thoughts captive. And we need to switch that around. Here's a picture I like, I like to use. And it's, so take every thought captive. If you picture yourself with a, a catcher's glove, a baseball mitt, a catcher's glove, the big, fat, padded ones. And as these thoughts come at you, the thoughts that you're inadequate, you're not good enough, whatever your, whatever your ongoing tape that you play over and over in your head is, capture that thought out here. Before you let it penetrate your heart, before you nod in agreement with that thought and allow it to become a stronghold, catch that thought. It might look like, for me, being here this morning, it might look like, what right do you have to stand in front of a church like this and pretend you know anything about what the scriptures say about strongholds? What right do you have to speak to people like this? That could be a thought that could mess with my mind. And if I make it obedient to the mind of Christ, I say, God, what do you want me to know about that thought? God, what is your truth about that thought? And ask you, when I was actually doing this, the first thing that came to mind were the words from Scripture where it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, go ahead and stand up there and proclaim the truth of God's word. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to the mind of Christ before it penetrates your heart. Own that thought and say, I want to hear what Christ has to say. Christ, is this thought in obedience with you? And if not, what is it that you want me to know about this thought? What right do I have to lead an organization like Rising Above? That's a thought that I've had over often again. When I take it into, catch it out here and say, God, what is your truth? Again, it's in my weakness, God will do what he needs to do to accomplish his purposes. What right do I have to be a parent? 
or a grandparent? What right do I have to disciple people? What right do you have to encourage your neighbors? You can take that and you can run with it as far as you want. Catch those thoughts, those self-destructive, disabling thoughts that pull you into a stronghold that is self-destructive, that causes you to do things and say things and live in sinful habits that you don't want to live in. It's easy to let those thoughts in. It's easy to build the stronghold. But you can stand against them and capture those thoughts. Bring them out into the light of Jesus and see what he wants you to know about it. When we take our thoughts captive and submit them to Christ, which is obedience to him, we are using divine power to demolish strongholds. That's the power right there. Taking every thought captive, making it obedient to the mind of Christ, allowing God's truth, which is divine power then, demolishes our strongholds right before our eyes. And when those negative thoughts that create the strongholds are removed and healed by God's truth, we are free to be the people that God has created us to be. Let me wrap up here with verse 6. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, this ability to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the mind of Christ and tear down those strongholds, since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. And I want to frame it this way, that any trace of rebellion, again, is stuff that's coming up with inside of us. We can now stand against it, and we can choose complete obedience. Are you utilizing this dynamic weaponry of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to the mind of Christ to destroy those strongholds? If you're not, are you ready to choose obedience to Christ and to trust him rather than hide behind our own defenses? Are you done? Are you tired of standing with the enemy? Are you tired of living in defeat? Are you tired of coming to church and singing songs of victory when in your heart you're feeling it's not there? Are you ready for a change? It's time to demolish some strongholds. I think it's very appropriate that we get to transition from this thought about his divine weaponry and the divine power to demolish strongholds into a time of communion. First thing I want to clarify about communion is the bread that is there in your little cup is gluten-free. So if that is an issue for you, you can feel free to participate in communion this morning. And um, you, were, you were given the elements when you came in, but uh, some of our elders are coming in now. And if you did not get one and would like one, just please raise your hand and they will come and make sure you get one. Just make sure you raise your hand that they can see it. Okay, thank you. And the elders will make sure you get some. Communion in Grand Prairie Lions Church is what, they call, what we call open communion. And that is simply to say this. This may be your first Sunday at Grand Prairie Lions Church. That's okay. If you have taken that step of confession of faith in Christ, saying, God, I need your forgiveness for my sins, and God, I'm tired of running my own life. I need you to be the Lord and leader of my life. If you've taken that step, then not only do we invite you to participate, we encourage you to join us this morning in this celebration of communion, which is both a solemn reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that when we take the bread, it's his broken body, and when we drink the cup, it's a reminder, symbolic of his shed blood. 
So it's a, it's a solemn reminder of those things, but it's a celebration because it gives us power. It gives us grace today to live. It gives us that divine power to tear down those strongholds, all because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm going to invite the elders to come forward and, and lead us into communion at this time.